Hey sister, this is Misty Williams, founder of HealingRosie.com, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Rosie Radio. Tune in to find clarity, direction, and hope for your healing. New episodes drop every Tuesday. We created this show to empower you to regain control of your life and feel like yourself again. Yes, sister, it is possible. I am super excited that my friend Mark England is with us today. We are going to dive into a topic that has to be on the minds of some of you because I hear these conversations in the Healing Rosie Facebook group about the reality that you find yourself in dealing with disease, sickness, caregiving, feeling like you are, you know that you should reduce your stress, but how do you do that? You find yourself in family structures, in relationship, um, marriage, maybe where there's certain energies present that require certain things from you. Um, you're in a situation where maybe you feel trapped, like you can't get out. Um, you've got responsibilities in your life that feel very, very significant, and important. Maybe you're dealing with a child who has some kind of disease or diagnosis that needs a lot of extra attention. Maybe you're dealing with aging parents who are sick and the idea of you being able to reduce your stress in your current life situation doesn't feel so accessible. And I certainly have been through times in my life where I feel like I'm in a reality where the stress is so significant and I don't know how to get out of it. How do I shift things when this is what I know right now? How do I change dynamics that seem to be deeply ingrained in the relationships that I'm in? You know, what, what do I do? And I know this is, this is the reality that we, we all encounter in some shape or form of, you know, whatever is existing in our world seems stressful. And how do we start changing how we're relating to things so that we're not under so much stress and duress all the time? I met Mark five years ago, six years ago, I don't know, a while ago when I was working with Paleo FX and 2017. In 2017, good memory, Mark. And he came in and talked about a program that he had built. We were all supposed to go through it. I think I had done two lessons in vocabulary at the time. And he got up and he started talking about why he developed this program and talked about how our words our magic we are creating. And this language, of course, deeply resonated with me as someone who's been into personal development my entire life and um, certainly consider myself a pretty empowered person. Um, I was listening to what he was saying and I was resonating. I knew that what he was saying was true, but the, the way he explained how you can exercise so much power in your life by the way you talk was mesmerizing. I started to have an even more acute awareness of the words that I used and how I related to things that were happening to me or for me in my life. And overall, I, I've, I've seen the magic in the way that he teaches all of us to be really powerful in the face of our circumstances and situations. I was talking to Mark before we started this interview today and reflecting on a time in my life when I've shared with you guys before, I went 144 hours without sleep and called a friend who has a deep toolkit and always seems to know what to do in crazy circumstances. And what he told me to do was to breathe. And he gave me a breathing pattern that I did for probably two or three hours in my, in my bedroom. I was 
I was undone. I had been bawling that day. I was just like, what is it going to take for my body to sleep again? And after doing this breath work, I was able to sleep. Like I, I actually felt myself dozing off for the first time, which was like, oh, oh my God, am I going to fall asleep now? It was liberating. And I've seen Mark in the work that he's done, that I've been privileged to actually be a witness to, to him working with people in a live setting, incorporating breath work. We've talked a lot about breath work during this event. We've had uh, Josh Trent come and teach us a lot about breath work. Ari Whitten talked a lot about breath work and his talk about energy and the, the most effective ways to cultivate energy. So I wanted to bring Mark on for this bonus series that we're doing and talk to us about this very stressful reality that a lot of ourselves find a lot of us find ourselves in and the very poignant and profound and accessible power we all have in what seems like impossible circumstances sometimes to begin to create a different world for ourselves it requires an open heart to even have this conversation, I would encourage you if there's just a piece of you inside that's like, I want to believe that something's possible for me. You've struggled. Take a deep breath and just choose in this moment to open your heart because Mark's going to teach us some profound stuff together today. And I'm super excited to be able to share this with you. I think it's wonderful to know how to go after deep toxic stressors with so many of the health strategies we've talked about, dental infections and toxic mold and all of these things that, that are very real things that we have to eradicate, right? But we've also talked a lot about the stressful life. We, we all have stress in our lives. Sometimes the stress we're dealing with is an experience that happened to us 40 years ago that we're still playing over and over and over in our reality today. And I want you to be really, really empowered that not only did we talk about a lot of these uh, real issues and things that are happening, but I want you to feel like, wow, I got some tools. I, I know where to start. That's my hope for you for this interview that we're going to finish up and you're going to be like, wow, okay. I can see this. I know what to do. So thrilled, thrilled to have you, Mark. Thanks for having me on, Misty. Thanks, uh, yeah. thanks everybody for listening, watching, both. Well, I would love for you. So I gave a little tease um, about vocabulary and some of the work that I've been able to see you do. I think it would be really great for you to just give us a frame for where you'd like to take this conversation today and talk to us a little bit about what vocabulary is and why it's so powerful. Today's talk, everybody, is about the victim mentality, how it influences us, how we play a role with our language. We're talking a lot about language today. And when I say language, I'm meaning internal dialogue and external dialogue, what we think, what we say, and what we write, how our language influences us for better and for worse how it, our language influences our breathing for better and for worse, and how to make some easy, seemingly minor adjustments to our everyday, ordinary language and benefit greatly from it. Sound fun? I love it. Sounds so fun. Cool. Super fun. Shall we start at the beginning? We, we should. Okay, great. So uh, I thought I was a tough guy in college. I wrestled in high school. I got into jujitsu my freshman year of college, uh, and and which led into Thai boxing and and MMA. I competed in college. Uh, I won a couple of uh, state kickboxing titles, and decided to go to Thailand for a year in 2002. The plan was to stay over there for a year, come back and go pro. That's the exact opposite of what happened. 
So I go over to Thailand and I'd only had my passport for two years. This is a big deal, right? I move over there. It's a big deal. Uh, everybody was excited for me. I was excited for me. And six months in, I'm on the operating table having my second knee surgery. Oh, and I remember it like it was yesterday, Missy. The doctor said very clearly, your career as a fighter is over. You could become a very good swimmer. And at 26 years old, me, I'm imagining myself next to grandpa in the pool doing laps. Not what I had in mind, not the top of the list. And I use that fail because I framed it as such. Moving over there, biggest opportunity of your life. Everybody's watching and you just screw this thing up, dude. I use that experience as the final piece of damning proof, the final piece of damning evidence that I really was not good enough. I was doomed to fail. There really is something wrong with you, dude, because that was the secret behind the story story that I was telling myself about myself, and I was using fighting to prove myself otherwise, right? So now that I had this final piece of evidence, case closed, you're a loser, darkness descended. As in, I did not laugh for an entire year, and very likely I did not smile well for an entire year because I had entrenched such a deep victim mentality that enjoying my life was, uh, it was, I, 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 I couldn't get there. Not even anywhere close. Let's define victim mentality for those that may have heard, not have heard that phrase. Happily. So I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. I'm going to say this twice, everybody. I'm going to recite the definition of the victim mentality twice. I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. And this is the verbatim definition of victim mentality. First time I'm going to say it slow. Second time I'm going to say it regular speed because I invite you all to write this down. Once people have written down, most people have never heard the definition of the victim mentality, much less written it down. And when you write it down, it helps make some very, in my personal and professional opinion, important things clear. So the definition of the victim mentality, the victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. Here it is a little faster. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait. It's a a tendency. It's an acquired personality trait where people tend, it's a tendency, they tend to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That second sentence is right between the eyes, right where it belongs. The victim mentality depends, as in it has to have a habitual thought process. Habitual accurately implies duration and addiction. So after a year, let's back up. So if the victim mentality has a habitual thought process, also known as Uh, repetitive sentences and key words that it has to have in order to be created and sustained, then what are the habitual thought process? What are the sentences? What are the key words? Okay. After a year of not laughing, I finally got sick of myself and I accurately identified. I was like, 
dude, are you going to be whining and complaining about this uh, for the next 30 years? And I looked at myself as 55, 60. Uh, are you going to be complaining about this? Or are you going to be talking about the, the, your missed opportunities and the glory day, like when you're 60? If you do that, Mark, if you do that, you really are a loser. I said, I'll take anything but that. And I meant it. And right around that same time, can we talk about poops, by the way? Totally. Okay, great. Uh, right around that, an enlightened poop changed my life. Right around that same time, my, uh, I was an elementary school PE teacher at an international school in Bangkok. I did that for five years. Great gig. I, li- I lived in Thailand for a decade. Still sounds strange to say and uh, facts. So um, I'm, our vice principal had come back from this cleansing resort down on the island of Koh Samui in the Gulf of Thailand. He's like, dude, they're doing some really cool stuff down here. Uh, and it's based off of this book. And he hands me a book called The Tao of Health, Sex, and Longevity by Daniel Reed. And I take that book over to the, the swimming pool and the second graders, you know, get them through the, uh, get them through the, the, the class. And now it's free swim. And I'm there with the, um, uh, an assistant. So, you know, we're both like, he's watching them. I'm thumbing through the book and they're talking about diet. They're talking about exercise, talking about breathing. Talk about meditation. They're talking about meridian lines and acupuncture and sleep. In as far as the traditional Chinese med- medicine medical system, uh, how they do things, and then they get to a, a section on pooping, and they show a, a, a diagram of someone sitting on a Western toilet, and then they show a diagram of someone squatting, and the person on the toilet, they're inside. It was like they were all compressed, and they like had some arrows pointing and talk about things and stuff like that. And then they showed the person who was squatting and how it aligned everything. And I was like, well, you know what? Guess what? I got to take poop. So I go in the bathroom and I squat down and I have, I take a glorious doo-doo. I get up, feel completely empty. I take a breath like I haven't in so long. And I go, sold. He who feels it knows it. She who feels it knows it. So I next uh, uh, block of time that we have for, for vacation, I go down there and I do a cleanse. And I like it. It's something, it's a way I could participate differently in my life. And as the old rocket science sentence goes, statement goes, do something different, get something different. And so I kept going back. My third trip down there, and we're still very much on the conversation about the victim mentality, okay, and the habitual thought processes that it has to have. My third trip down there, there was a gentleman by the name of Barry Musgrave doing a workshop on emotional detoxification. Mark, in all his wisdom, I snickered at the name, emotional detox. I went though. You know what he talked about? He talked about words and he talked about stories and he talked about identities and he talked about breathing. And then he asked if anyone was struggling with a story. And this woman shot her hand up real quick. And it was, it was a legit stinger of a breakup story. Here's the cliff notes. Her and, and by the way, she'd been hanging on to this thing for four years, hadn't dated anybody, pissed, still pissed. Her and her friends rented a house down at the beach for beach week. Her boyfriend's friends, and uh, they rented the house next door for Beach Week. Add alcohol, press play, you get drama. One night, her boyfriend hooked up with her best friend in front of everybody and then dumped her the next night in front of everybody. Everybody say, ouch, on three. Yeah. And she told this story three times. First time through, he let her just go. She's angry and crying. Second time through... He starts making some adjustments in the rate of speech and some of the words, also known as creating clarity in space. 
And then that third time through, he stopped her at the Lord of the Rings sentence, the sentence that was holding the whole thing together, forcing her to take it personally, forcing her to make that victim villain mental imagery, keep her in that stress state. And that sentence was, and I, I invite all of you all to write this down. Here's the sentence. He did that to me. He did that to me. He had everybody say it three times. He did that to me. So everybody's staring at the same words, same configuration of words. You know what the definition of a spell is, by the way, Misty? Tell me. Webster's definition, not mine. Webster's definition of a spell, a word or a combination of words of great influence. That's it. So he had everybody looking at the same configuration of words, the same spell. He did that to me. And he said that last word, me, take that out. So everybody write that sentence down. Take your pen, also known as your magic wand. Scratch out the word me and put in himself. And it was such a radical departure from this story that was consuming her mental real estate. Okay. It was such a radical departure. It was clunky how she said it. He, he did that, and it went up at the end like a question. It's called up talk. He, he did that to himself, and then you see it catch. And she talked herself into a completely different perspective of the whole thing. He did. He, he did do that to himself. And then she starts telling a different story of what happened to him. Yeah, he lost friends. It was like, he, like people shunned him and all this stuff. And then finally she goes, yeah, that was never going to work out anyway. The guy was actually pretty weird. And you just, right. You just see the thing come off of her. You see her shoulders drop and her face lighten up. And I'm looking at that and I go, that's not my story, but that's my story. Cause that sentence it's called a projection. He did that to me. This has nothing to do with intelligence. This has nothing to do with deservance. This is simply an education issue. So Mark, that sentence will do the exact same thing, mechanically speaking, for Mark England or Einstein. He did that to me. He's in the picture. I'm in the picture. I'm on the receiving end of that. I've got to wait for him to change before I can relax and, and let the thing go. Good luck. Don't hold your breath, even though you're holding your breath because you're in a stress state because that's a stressful state, that sentence, right? Also known as amygdala hijack or sympathetic nervous system response. We'll talk more about that later. And I look at that and I'm like, that's not my story, but that's my story. And that was in 2003. And I got up from that workshop and I went to, at the time, an internet cafe. They had those things then. And I printed off an 80 page manual on how to do this work on myself. And I started going to town on my own stories and making some, like I said, seemingly minor adjustments to my everyday ordinary language. And things started loosening up also known as me, I started to loosen up. I started to let go of these stories because I had a story about the guy who shouldn't have kicked me that hard and all this stuff. I was taking zero responsibility for the stuff that, for the, for the story, for the, the, the things that I had done to put myself in that bad position, which were many. Okay. But I couldn't get to those yeah, because I, I had the villain. Yeah. Right. And, um, in 2007, January 17th, 2007. So I, Thailand for 10 years, first five in Bangkok, teaching elementary school kids sports. Super great gig. Second five, I worked, I went and started, I went down to that same spa and January 7th, 2000, excuse me, January 17th, 2007, I went down to that same spa and started working there as a counselor. And I've been doing that somewhere between full-time and overtime the whole time for the past (laughs) 15 years. We have, we've, um, I have a business partner. I've had a business partner for the last seven and a half. Um, this is my 291st, uh, uh, podcast or interview that I've done on 
the subject of how our language influences us for better and for worse. We have a certification company where we certify coaches on how to, and I deliver all the trainings. I'm the head coach of Enlifted is called Enlifted. What vocabulary has evolved into, we can talk about that later. And we certify coaches on how to dismantle their clients, including their own, because it's the, the, our, all our certs are equal parts, personal, professional development, how to dismantle people's victim mentalities using their everyday ordinary language. Yeah. So, I'm having so many chills. I want to tell a story. Do it. It's just right along the lines of what you're saying. So uh, I found the work of Byron Katie, who I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, Loving what is, she has a judge your neighbor worksheet. And I had this experience with my father. I've been actually, if you would have asked me at 20, 25, 30, well, it started dissipating around 35 about my relationship with my dad. You would have heard all the stories about how challenging my relationship with him was, how controlling he was. You know, I had the typical, I'm not understood by my father. Um, I, I remember talking to my best friend who is a therapist. Of course, I would have a friend that's a therapist that <laughs> helps me process all this stuff. And one day she actually said to me about this dynamic that I was constantly engaged in with my dad. She's like, can you just not care? Can you just not care? And I remember I respect her. And there's a part of me that knows that what she's saying is right. But I was not capable of not caring. I couldn't experience him doing what he does. <clears throat> And being unaffected by it. And that bothered me a little bit, but I didn't know what to do about it. So I found Byron Katie's work. I had this... I, I, don't this the, I don't even remember the details of this fight that I had with my father. I just remember how I felt afterwards. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was sick and tired of dealing with this same crap from him over and over and over again. I remember getting home and I was consumed with rage and resentment and pain. And I didn't want to live in that space. We didn't live in the same town. So I was away from him, but I was still in the soup of this is what it's always been like with my father. Brunswick stew. Chunky. <laughs> yes. So I got the judge and neighbor worksheet out and started judging my dad, every terrible thing I could say. And Byron Katie has you do turnarounds on the language. So I went through several steps of the process, too much for us to get into now. But we got to this one part where I was working with the sentence, my dad tries to control me. My dad tries to control me. And she always asks, is it true? So you kind of do a little, is it true? And then you start doing turnarounds. The turnaround that got me was, I try to control my dad. Is it true? And it was like, in that moment, everything. Oh, blammy. Because I could see that I did try to control him. And that's why we fought. Because we were both trying to control each other. And neither one of us, we're both strong people. Neither one of us was going to be controlled, right? But in that moment of like, the thing I was projecting so hard, that mirror turned on me and I saw, holy crap, I'm doing the same thing. Like just everything melted away. And that one session, there was a lot of other stuff too, you know, that you're working out trying to unravel that spell, you know? My relationship with my dad has been better ever since. I, I feel none of that. 
with my father. So when you're describing the power of this work, like in, my goosebumps have goosebumps. I am so deeply resonating with what you're saying because I have profoundly, that's not the only story in my life. You know, when you come across something like this, you just use it everywhere you can. But it radically changed one of my primary relationships, which is my relationship with my father, to be able to relate to him, to be able to sit in the space that Kim invited me to sit in where I just didn't care. Like that space was totally accessible to me after that moment. I was able to not care. Let him do what he's going to do. That's my father. That's not, it's not surprising or shocking. And I just let him do what he's going to do. And I'm fairly unaffected by it. You know, every now and then I'll have a moment, but I can bounce back pretty quick. And man, I'm thinking about the last decade of my life, having a good relationship with my dad. I would choose that any day, but I had no idea up to 35 that that power was even available to me. Tony Robbins says Byron Katie is at the top of the mountain. He doesn't say things like that very often. Her, her book, A Thousand Names for Joy, I recommend the audiobook, A Thousand Names for Joy, is her uh, rendition and interpretation of the Tao Te Ching. And it's the highest articulation of unconditional love that I've ever heard. That I've ever heard. I spent seven days with her at the Kripalu Institute in 2014. And you can take that sentence right there. There's, a, there's actually four turnarounds to it. So my dad's trying to control me. That's one. But that's where you start. I'm trying to control my dad. I'm trying to control me. My dad is trying to control my dad. And 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 so on. And, and you could add not in there too. My dad is not trying to control me. Sure. Yeah. And, and space and hello, space and clarity, hello, better breathing mechanics. Hello, exit. Powerful. It's super powerful. And and like I said, she's a teacher. You know, like I said, this, this, this has nothing to do with intelligence, zero, and nothing to do with deservance. It has everything to do with education. I was brought up in the public school systems. I have a master's degree in education. And on e- neither side of that fence did I have any courses, classes, or conversations on how to use my language to stay focused on the things that are important, to keep the drama down, to build myself up in my imagination, and to create the good feels in my body. Right. No, none, none of those conversations. It was all uh, traditional, regular spelling, grammar, and definitions. There's a little bit more to it than that, folks. Please hear the sarcasm in my voice. There's a whole lot more to it than that. And um, it's, it's easy to prove. It's easy to prove. Do you have a pen? I do. You got a piece, piece of paper? I do. I am ready for this. You want to play a language game? Yes. Everybody, play a language game with us. So I am a teacher to the core. Right. And this language game, okay, I'm going to share a couple language games with you. I absolutely, you want to make Mark England even happier? Turn around if you, if you like it, if it's, if you have an experience and you would like to share this with someone or a group of people or make a, so turn around and use this. Okay. Uh, um, cause that's when, well, even more the magic happens. So this is called the one word game. This is a one-word game. Please write down this sentence, everybody. How can I ever get over this? How can I ever get over this? So you wrote it. Please make that statement, Misty. How can I ever get over this? So you have them write it, you have them read it, and then ask them about the feels. How does it feel to make that statement? I felt something locked up in the middle of my body. Step two. That was step one. Rocket science, folks. Take your magic wands, your pen. Scratch out one word. Just one. Scratch out the word ever. 
Now read it. Look at that smile. How can I get over this? Any different? Very. Wow. What you got? What's the difference? Uh, I didn't feel something lock up in my body like I was trapped. The word ever is, okay, so yes, fine, everyone, yes. That sentence, it's a question, okay? It's got a question. It's not a question. It, it has a question mark at the end of it. How can I ever get over this? And when people say that, very rarely do they say it in, in a cool, calm, collected way. Most of the time, it's emotionalized. As mm-hmm. in, how can I ever get over this? Which is fine, syntactically speaking, it's a question. That's a statement. It's a statement of I'm screwed. It's a presupposition if you want to get technical about it. It presupposes there's no way out. Right. And so my reticular activating system, which we can talk about here in a second, it goes, okay, there's no way out. I'm going to stop looking for solutions. And hello, stress. Hello, resignation. We take out one word. In this, con- in this, in this ex- example, the word ever falls under the umbrella of drama language. You put that in in a certain way in certain sentences, and the drama is going to spike. Your cortisol is going to spike. Your stress is going to go up. You're going to get tunnel vision. It's called amygdala hijack. When people go into a stress response, a stress state, called amygdala hijack. The breathing is trapped in the chest. We get fixated on something. Okay, We lose internal and external access to our peripheral vision. Okay, Our ability to listen goes way down. Anyone who's ever talked to someone who's in an upregulated emotional state, it, we have language to describe this. It's like talking to a brick what? A brick wall. Okay. And so when we take out that one word ever, now the presupposition, that's also a presupposition. Now we actually have a real question. How can I get over this? The RAS, the reticular activating system goes, uh, well, okay, cool. If there, if there are, it presupposes that there are solutions. So I go looking for the solutions and I'm going to, the likelihood that I'm going to see something either now or shortly thereafter goes way up. And that feels a lot better on a variety of different levels. And, um, uh, the reticular activating system, in my personal and professional opinion, is vital for anyone that is in uh, personal, professional development uh, or they want to heal from something. I mean, have you ever heard a doctor recommend prolonged bouts of stress and anxiety to help someone get over an illness? <laughs> Me either. <laughs> so the reticular act- – I'll back in with a story. I'm going to give a presentation, Mr. Williams, 2018, one year after I met you. And I'm Mr. Early. So I get out the door early. I'm, I'm – reviewing the show notes in my head and I walk over to where my car was parked the night before except it's gone glorious space nothing but empties and my it took me a hot second to connect the dots that somebody stole my car so I get my phone out and I call the police and I said help they said hold on buddy we're coming and then I call my dad I said dad I'm telling the truth this is really weird somebody stole my SUV I got stuff to do I need the farm truck so I go out to my dad's farm an hour and a half out of Richmond, Virginia, and pick up his one of his prized possessions. In 1985, he bought a Ford F-150, brand new, off the showroom floor. Two tones of brown. We call it brown and browner. And it's still in mint condition. I drove brown and browner into Richmond within 24 hours. Most people have had an experience like this. I start seeing 1985-ish Ford F-150s all over the place. I saw three in two city blocks. Have you ever had that experience? You buy a mm-hmm. car and then you... What, 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 what was the model? Um, mine was... I don't remember the year. 1990... Mitsubishi Eclipse. And you, you buy that car and then what happened? They're all over the road. They're everywhere. <laughs> Where the hell did all these cars come from? The yeah. reti- here's, the, here's what happens, folks. And it's completely neutral. It'll, it'll, it'll point out the worst stuff you got just as fast as the best stuff you got. It goes, it has a search and an edit function. Once something gets deemed important, as in 
once we focus on it, especially if we emotionalize over it, because my emotions were up. Somebody stole my car. Um, uh, and, and interestingly enough, when I really got emotional about it was when I remembered that my kickboxing equipment, which I had broken in, or it's like a, like a baseball mitt glove. It, you buy it. It's new. You keep five years. The stuff was just perfect leather and really nice and just molded. It was, it was an extension of me. That's when I actually got mad. Yeah. Not up, not up until then. So while I'm driving this 1985 truck, I'm seeing, cause it's going on a search mission, go find more of these things. I'm finding more and more of those. And while I'm doing that, my reticular activating system, unbeknownst to me, is also editing out anything that's not that. So I didn't see any blue Oldsmobiles, no red bugs, because it's not the thing that that is important. Right. This has been studied in depth. One of the most famous social psychology social psychology studies uh, ever done was the invisible gorilla. Are you aware of that? Mm-mm. I don't know. Start telling it. You can, you can look this up. You can see the original video. It's a one-minute video on YouTube. In the late 1990s, two social psychologists took, took seven students, dressed three up in white, three up in black, and one in a gorilla costume. They gave the white team two basketballs, the black team two basketballs, and, um, had, and they filmed them for one minute. The white team could only pass the basketballs to the, that team, the same with the black team. So 30 seconds in the middle of this, the student in the gorilla costume walks into the middle of the frame looks at the camera, beats his chest and walks out. That was the one minute video. And then they show that one minute video to tens of thousands of people and they direct their attention. They get the people that write the news know about this. Magicians know about this. They direct their attention. They say, count how many times the white team passed the basketballs back and forth to each other. Correct answer is 15. Spoiler alert. And then afterwards they asked them how many times. And then they asked them, oh, by the way, did you happen to see that gorilla? 50, 50% of the population that watched, edited out, failed to see something so seemingly obvious as a gorilla because they weren't looking for it. They were focused on something else. And when you, when you, then when someone brings it to your attention, you watch, you're like, oh my God, that thing's that right. profound. Yeah. It's spooky profound. Now, the question is does our reticular activating system? only respond to 1985 Ford F-150s and Mitsubishi Eclipses and students in gorilla costumes, or does our language influence our reticular activating system? I got two stories for you, a tale of two stories. Because you got to think, think folks in terms of expansive spells and constrictive spells, okay? Combinations of words that constrict and control, trap the breath, create the dense energy, rigidity in the body, get, create the tunnel vision or combinations of words that, re, that, that expand people energetically, give space and clarity in their imagination, relax the physical body and unlock the breath. So a tale of two stories, a tale of a constrictive spell and a tale of an expansive spell. And then we've got a couple other language games to play to really round this thing out nicely and make and give you all some things that you can practice and have an experience with. Because once you feel it, then you know it. This woman comes in, sits down. She was very forthcoming. She said, I'm having problems in my marriage. My husband thinks I'm attractive and I refuse to believe him. And I know when it got started, I know where this is coming from. I just don't know what to do about it. I said, keep going. And she told the story. She was 10 years old and she walked, her family went to her grandparents' house for Christmas. And her, she walked right as soon as she walked in the, the kitchen door, her great aunt is sitting right there, standing right there and leans down and goes, my, you have a big nose, just like me. Walks into the into the bathroom. What do you think the first thing she looked at was, Misty? 
Her nose in the, in the mirror. mirror. In her nose in the mirror, which is, of course, no bigger now physically than it was five seconds ago. But in her imagination, she's got a honker, means she's ugly. And the reticular activating system, very strong emotional reaction. The reticular activating system goes, okay, okay, fine, cool, great. You're ugly. I'm going to go find all the other flaws and repeatedly point them out to you. And anything that is, it's called confirmation bias. Anything that is contrary to this belief system of your, that you're ugly, I'm just going to uh, knock it out of the way. Delete, delete. Exactly. And you can see how this would work. Her husband was uh, he's like, damn, baby, you look good. And she's like, you don't really mean that. Think that's going to cause some problems? It's going to cause some problems. Can I drop an F-bomb, by the way? <laughs> you can. Okay, cool. So, because it's, a, it's, a, it's part of the second story. So, a tale of, that's a constrictive spell. Here's an expansive spell. 2014, I'm giving a presentation in South Carolina. There's at a festival, a guy's setting up a booth right next to me. He hears the whole thing. He comes up afterwards and he says, man, that was really cool. Uh, I loved all of it. You want to hear a, a, a story about this exact thing? I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. And I forget the guy's name. We'll call him Dave. And he said, uh, my grandmother, grandfather took me out in the backyard when I was 11 years old. And he said, little Davey, life's wild. There's ups and downs, twists and turns and zigs and zags. And you're going to get some things right, and you're going to get some things wrong. Just always remember to err on the side of being a badass motherfucker. And he said, my whole life changed in an instant. He said, I, I, I looked up things or looking up. He said, I saw myself in my imagination as capable and confident, and my energy just got bigger. And he said, you know, I, I get things wrong. I get things right. I go after what I want, though. And you know what? I like being me. And I thought to myself, that's it right there. There's another chalk it up to the thousands of great examples of how our language powerfully influences us for better and for worse, unbeknownst to us. Because the way that most most people's language is working against them, Misty, and they don't even know it. Most people's language, due to a lack of education about it, tricks them into being innocent bystanders in their life. It tricks them to being spectators in the stands, when in reality, we are absolutely participating in our identity. So Webster's definition of identity is the fact of being who or what a person is. Okay. I easily dispelled this on stage at our TEDx talk with the question, raise your hand if you see yourself differently now than you did when you were five. It's such a ridiculous question. Everybody laughs. Okay. So our identity is not factual. I'm not good enough is not on the periodic table of elements. Okay. Nothing ever works out for me is not a unit of measurement. Those are, those are belief systems, which is a, uh, overly important word for an opinion or an idea. And our identity is an ongoing fluid, flexible process that we are participating in on a daily basis. And with a little bit of education, there's that word again, we can, we can, we can participate different and better. Wow. Rants. I go on rants. I go on tangents. I'm famous for them. Yeah. So powerful. I'm passionate about this stuff because I know what it did for me. It got me out of, you know, there's one of my favorite quotes is that every man or every woman is eventually responsible for their own face. And I was past, I was bitter. I was a bitter person. And uh, I was on my way to seething. And, and bitter shows up on people's faces. Okay. Bitter shows up on people's face. Everyone is better looking when they're breathing well and smiling more and laughing. Okay, file that also under rocket science. So I know firsthand what this practice, this path of paying more attention to what we think, say, and write will do for people on a personal level and a professional level. Like I said, I've been doing this a while, full time. 
I'm thinking about this idea of creation. And through my journey and the unfolding, I told you a story about my father, but I have lots of stories of, you know, poignant moments that like shifted my reality and helped me to see that things weren't happening to me, that I wasn't a victim, that um, I wasn't at the effect of what other people thought or said or wanted for my life. And moving into 40, I'm 46 now, I started actively accepting actively accepting that I am creating in every moment. And in 2016, I've shared a little bit during this event about this massive incineration of my business that happened because I, it was through, I was cycling through burnout, 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 and I would rise from the ashes and I burn out again. And I realized that the reason why I was experiencing so much burnout in my life was because I didn't understand this dance between the energetics of accountable energy and supportive energy. I was living my life where all the energy went out. I was accountable for everything. I was supportive of everything and everyone. And I didn't know how to welcome that energy into my life. And I started attempting to create new relationships and it didn't go well, um, or to create different relationships with the people in my life. And that didn't go well. I lost a lot of relationships in my life during that period because I realized that um, my way of being was crushing my soul. And I decided on the other end of this like incineration, feeling like I was losing everything. I remember calling a friend and telling her, everything is falling apart. Everything is just falling apart. And she said, Misty, everything is falling together. And something inside of me like leapt, like, like I caught my breath. You know, I, I wanted that possibility to be true. Like, could that really be true? I, I need that to be true. And I've marched on from the the way I was being in the world into a way of being in the world that today is much more supportive and life-giving. And when I met my partner, Roderick, four years ago, I asked him, what do you want to create? Because at that time in my life, I'd lived enough life to know that we're creating in every moment. We're either playing tapes and running patterns that have created the the bondage, the out of control, the the victim, unhappy, unfulfilled, misunderstood life, or we create something different. We choose and live in the possibility of creation. And Roderick and I have been together four years now. And one of the things that he would tell you is one of the most profound gifts I've given to him is this idea that we have the power to create together. And we've been very intentional about this in our relationship. We talk about it a lot. And I wish there was a way to kind of bottle up this awesome, empowered, open, spacious, full of potential energy that I feel pretty much all the time in my life these days because I choose to live in creation. There are many opportunities for all of us to adopt a story that renders us powerless, right? But we don't have to. And the things you're sharing right now, Mark, are just like my insides are dancing. I have little insects inside of me that are just jumping, (laughs) feeling so liberated by what you're sharing because I'm just considering where I was. I remember being 19 years old in college for the first time, not hitting it off with anybody, feeling misunderstood. People don't understand me. They're confused. And feeling trapped like I'm, I'm in this world away from home for the first time you know, wanting to make friends and have a great social life. And I just was not batting a thousand, you know, I was really, really struggling. And I remember sitting down with my best friend and her ask and asking her like, what is wrong? Why, why do people feel this way? Why are they so resistant to me? 
And I wish I could remember the details. It's kind of like my dad. What were we fighting about when I felt like he took, I don't remember the details of that, but I do remember hearing things from her and deciding in that moment, okay, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to blame everybody else for misunderstanding me. I'm going to do something about this. And finding strategies to do something about it has radically changed everything about my life. And I love that you've like made this your mission to like bottle this. I hope people feel it like I'm feeling it, you know, that, wow, we really can create something different. If only we have the guidance and distinctions. Certainly, I couldn't have made that shift in that moment around my dad if I hadn't been reading Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is, and watching some of her videos on YouTube and just seeing what the work is about. And yeah, you're like, you are giving people the spell <laughs> with the wand. It's really exciting. You, you wrote that and I wrote down bondage or bonding. Take your choice, pick, mm. make your choice, you know, you don't play another language game. I do. Okay, cool. Write down Misty Williams and write it in, in a, in a full sentence. So write down one personal goal for 2022 and one professional goal for 2022. Okay. I get asked a lot, Mark, what do we do? Where do we start? And this, what we're about to do right now. Okay, this language game and then the challenge that we're about to do is the is is the uh, the advice, the exercise I give all the time. I mean, literally, it's it's the one because this right here is the gateway drug into the rest of your language, and it is uber shareable and uber reliable. So please, everybody listening, turn around and share this. Share it far and wide, Facebook, whatever Facebook groups like, just use it. Watch what happens. So you have people write down one personal goal and one professional goal in a full sentence. So that first language game we played, we took one word out and had an experience. This language game, we're going to put one word in, see what happens. What's that? What's your, what's your, what's your personal goal? Okay. Personal goal sharing this one, especially because I've been sharing a lot of during this event about this goal is I will lose the weight from mold toxicity this year. How's that feel to say? Um, it feels like it's true. Perfect. What's your professional goal? Uh, we will double our revenue from 2021. Excellent. That's exactly how you do step one. There's only two steps. Have them write it, have them read it, ask them how it feels. So step two, that's step one. Step two, read that first one again. I will lose the weight from mold toxicity. Put a kinda anywhere in that sentence. Okay. And then say it. I will kind of lose the weight from mold toxicity. What happened to the energy? It feels like the balloon deflated. <laughs> wow, I'm so shocked. Read that. Read your second one. Okay, we will double our revenue from 2021. Put a maybe anywhere in there. Maybe we will double our revenue. It's comical. Lame. It's hilarious. It's super lame. So what we just did right there, the title of that language game, everybody, is called Soft Goals. Because guess what? Soft Talk is the gateway drug to the rest of your language. There's a handful of these keywords. I'm about to rattle them off, which is part two. This is the, we're about to do the soft talk challenge. I promise you, these words, these keywords are in your language, and I promise you, they are creating indecision, anxiety, and doubt, also known as stress. That's right. So remember the reticular activating system, everybody? I bet you do. We're going to, everybody get a pen and a clean sheet of paper. You already got your pen, clean sheet of paper. I'm going to rattle off the handful of soft talk keywords and I want you to write them out 
five times larger than you normally write. The reticular activating system is going to go, hey, why are we writing these words out five times larger than we normally write? And then it's going to go, guess what? Doesn't matter. Just pay more attention to them. So here's the first one. Guess. Maybe. Kind of. Sort of. Almost like. It's almost like I'm procrastinating. Possibly. Probably. I'm probably drinking too much coffee. Take out the probably. You know you are. Could. Think. Hopefully. And try. Here's one of my marking promises for you, everybody. It'll take you about three months. So what you want to do is you want to take that sheet of paper, same instructions. If you want to turn around and share this with people, do the exactly what we did. Take that sheet of paper and go tape it up on your bathroom mirror where you're going to see it at least once a day. What that's going to do, everything starts with raising the awareness. It's going to raise your awareness about the, these keywords, and you're going to start seeing them. You're going to start hearing them in your thoughts, in your speech. You're going to see them in your texts and emails. You're going to hear them in other people's language. And once that happens, then you just take it out. You take out the guess. I guess I, 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 I could improve my diet. No, 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 no. Take out, I, I could improve my diet. Take out the could put in can. I can improve my diet. It's the art and science of talking yourself into stuff. And, <laughs> and, and you're going to have a feel. You're going to have a, 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 an experience with the feels. And you're going to go, that Mark England guy was serious. Yes, I'm very serious and I'm very sincere. And here's, here's the promise. It'll take you about three months. If you cut your soft talk usage by 50%, you will double your confidence. And you with double your confidence, you du- with double the confidence, that is, that is a, well, that's, mo- that's a more powerful, that's more potent, that's a more fun, uh, consistent, uh, 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 happier version of you. Abracadabra. That's awesome. I love it. I actually find myself recognizing soft talk and pointing it out in people close to me. How often do you recognize soft talk? Misty and I, she, she knows this because she's done a great job of leading this conversation and giving me pitches and let me swing and hit all that. And, uh, she, she, she knows this game. She knows this game very well. How often do you hear soft talk in people's language? Oh, all the time. Oh my Lord. It's the, the taking, especially with women taking the edge off of like not feeling comfortable being speaking with certainty. Right. So sure. we add in the, I guess the kind of, yeah, yeah. We do it a lot. We do and, it a lot. Yep. The feedback there is that, um, well, I don't want to come across as a BITC. Right. Okay. And the antidote to that is to breathe better while you're speaking. Because here's the trick, folks. If you are comfortable, also known as if you're relaxed with what you're saying, other people are going to be relaxed with what you're saying. Okay. And as you become more confident and comfortable speaking in a more solid way, some of the time, because it's, 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 there's a, there's a progression there. Other people will receive it well as well. And then you, you add more of a smile to your face when you're, you're speaking and you will like that version of you better. Mm-hmm. I feel extremely confident saying that. One of the things that I watched you do at Paleo FX one year, people were coming up to your booth and you were working with them one-on-one on, you know, what is the, what is the desire? What is the goal? You were helping them to basically find their footing to be with that powerfully. And you would add in the breath. And we kind of touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the conversation. I think this would be a great place to wrap things up. Because when you would have people make the adjustments to their stated desire and then breathe and then say again what that desire was, it was like their faces. It was almost like they became a different person. 
And that was the first time as a, as a, a witness to a process that I really, really got the, the correlation between breathing and the breath and the actualizing of that, which you really want to create. So I find myself even now in my life, like I'll, I'll feel the tightening in the chest and immediately I'm like, just moving that energy, you know? So I'd love for you to just kind of give us a little insight into why it's so powerful and how we can really use breath to kind of put a little gasoline on this whole experience. This ladies and gentlemen, ladies is known as supercharging your affirmations and it is the missing link for your affirmation practice. So very few people, let's, we'll go with the, um, the same metric for, for goals. 3%, only 3% of the population has any goals, anything written down about what they would like to do. Okay. That means 97% of the population doesn't even have a draft to hand in. Let's take that same metric and move it over to affirmations, which if you look at it this way, affirmations are goals for your mindset. These are statements that you want to believe more uh, strongly in. Okay. And so people in that have an affirmation practice, I've given more workshops than I can count on just supercharging your affirmations. So most people, a vast majority of people that have an affirmation practice, okay, they, they write it and they read it, okay, and then they repeat it. I'm getting healthier. I'm getting healthier. I'm getting healthier. Things are working out for me. Things are working out for me. I can lose the weight. I can heal from this. Whatever it is, okay, what you want to do is to get a breath, a big breath in, full breath in, full breath out in between each of those affirmations. You can take one affirmation and rep it with breath 10 times because look at where the breath is when I, when I just, when I machine gun it. Um, I can heal from this. 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 This is, my breath is up here. It's just, it's simply a mental exercise. When you add in the breath, I can heal. For, let's do this. Let's do three of these. Misty. I can heal from this. Say it with me. I can, I can heal, heal from, from this. this. Everybody follow along. Say it out loud. I can heal from this. Mm-hmm. Two more. Let's do it. We're here. I can heal, I can heal from, from this. this. I can heal from this. When you add in a breath in between each statement, you bring the rest of the totality of you into the conversation. And it's three different ways of describing the same thing. When you add in the breath, you are socializing the idea. You are embodying the concept. You are taking it to heart. And when you do that, so let's say you have a list of affirmations. Let's say you have 10. Some of those, you're going to get to matter of fact, as far as the feels is concerned, faster than others. And what you do, what you want to do is you want to rep the affirmations with breath until a specific affirmation, you just feel good with it. It's a matter of fact. Our matters of fact become facts of matter. And once you do that, you just take it off the list and you keep repping with breath the affirmations and uh, watch what happens. Watch what happens. I felt like this surge of my own power when I was breathing as we were doing that, like this, there was like my being, I, I am up here a lot, but man, the breath just really. So it up. Think. 
Yeah. We're known as the language people, Misty. We might as well be known as the language and the breathing people. And gun to head, it's about the breath. Fine. Yeah. Yes. I teach people about the power of their, their language, how to use it better. And there's a lot of great things that happen from it. And I am most interested in helping people unlock their breathing because when your breath unlocks and descends down into your abdomen, also known as low and slow breathing, also known as parasympathetic breathing, also known as rest and digest, also known as uh, um, feed and breed, all the things that you want are, are going to happen uh, much more likely by residing in, in that space. We are designed, physiologically speaking, to be healthy and to thrive in parasympathetic nervous system response most of the time. And most people's breathing is trapped in their chest. And a large, very large part of that, of, of why that is, is because of the, the hoarding of stories, as in people do not write things down and, and out. Okay. Stories kept in the head about the thing that happened way back then. Even if the pen feels like it weighs a thousand pounds, and sometimes it will, write out the story, the facts and the details. Do not write about how you feel about it now. Write out the facts and the details. The devil is in the details. The devil in this case is known as the emotion and the belief system, the idea, the opinion that you made back then about you and the world. It's in the details. Write the story out. Read it with a breath in between at the end of each punctuation, and you will downregulate yourself in context to that thing. Okay. And, and, and then the, the way that people use their everyday ordinary language, those two things. So the stories that we hoard and the way we use our language throughout the day, that is a large majority of why most people's breath is trapped in the chest. And you can totally do something about that. That's amazing. All right. Well, we could go on and on, but we should wrap it up. I would love for you, Mark, to tell everyone if they're interested in learning more about you and your work, where can they find you online? We have a podcast. Misty. We started it 10 weeks ago. And within the first three weeks, we 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 cracked the top three percent of podcasts on the planet uh, because people is word of mouth. It's for coaches. It's also and we there's a lot of people that um, listen because they want to get better. So it's all about coaching with the language and the words. And then yeah, fine. We speak to coaches and the the, the conversation is very parallel. Get in lifted. Get in lifted podcast. Okay. And then if anyone wants to know about the certification. The Enlifted certifications that we run, go to enlifted.me. It's a gorgeous website. You'll see people that you recognize on there, very likely, especially if you're in you're in you're in Austin. The first person, first testimonial we got is from John Wolf. Shout out to on it. By the way, Misty Williams, we're coming to Austin, Texas in September. We're giving a presentation at On It on the 18th of September. I'd love to have you there as my guest. I love it. Oh, yes, definitely. I'll put it on my calendar. All righty. Well, thank you so much, Mark. This is amazing. You're welcome so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll see you guys soon. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you're feeling more empowered to overcome your flabby, foggy, and fatigued and to reclaim your life. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss any of our episodes. We have some awesome shows coming right up. I love reading your reviews and comments too. They inspire me and encourage other Rosies to hang out with us and learn all these amazing strategies for healing and living our best lives. Till next time, sister. Bye. Bye.